I know we've been in Ephesians chapter 4 for a little while, uh, but we are going to finish up this week as we go through this study in the book of Ephesians. Uh, in this chapter so far, we've been focusing so much on the church Throughout chapter 3, chapter 4, we're talking about the church, the life of the church, the expectations on the church. Uh, We're talking about the challenges to the individuals these last few weeks, specifically. Uh, Challenges to us as individuals within the body of Christ. As believers, what is expected of us? What are we, how are we to conduct ourselves? How are we supposed to speak? These are some of the things we've been addressing. And uh, last week we talked so much about what it looks like to get further into this putting off the old man and putting on the new man. And now this week we go even deeper into that uh, as there was just too much information last week to put it all together, so we had to break it up. But we're getting further into this now of what it looks like putting off the old man, the old nature, the old ways, and putting on the new or putting on truly the Lord Jesus Christ. In verse 30, as we begin, it says, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit. Now, let's just rewind for a moment. I'm gonna read for us once more verses 25 to 29, so we look at what we're springboarding out of here. It says, therefore, putting away lying, let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give place to the devil. Let him who stole steal no longer, but rather let him labor, working with his hands what is good, that he may have something to give him who has need. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. And, so we're going to add to it now. I love when we see those ands in the Bible, because we're like, we're not done yet. I have the saying, we've heard it before, in the infomercials of the world, but wait, there's more, right? I've been saying that throughout many studies in the Gospel of John, now in Ephesians, but wait, there's more. Let's continue, as Peter writes, to add to our faith, not just be maintainers, right? We've talked a lot about maintaining the unity of the body. That is our purpose as the church, but we are also to add to our faith, not just maintain our faith. Sometimes we're okay with status quo, We shouldn't be. We should be adding to our faith. And so when we see those ands in the scripture, we're going to add and do this and do this or and make sure not to do this. And so what he says, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. This is an important point here to make. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit. Now, the things that we've already discussed very clearly would grieve the Holy Spirit. And we, we briefly talked about that last week. But now we're going to get further into today some more things that would grieve the Holy Spirit. And what are we looking for? We are so desperately longing for the Holy Spirit to work in our lives and in our church. The Holy Spirit has been given to us as a helper to abide with us forever, to comfort, to strengthen, to convict, to encourage, to pr- help us press on, to help us add to our faith. And so when we talk about the Holy Spirit, do not grieve the Holy Spirit. It is outlined for us a bit in the previous verses and then further in the following verses. But in the previous verses here, what we're saying in do not grieve the Holy Spirit is saying do not resist the work of the Holy Spirit. That's what it would be to grieve the Holy Spirit. 
And this is outlined in, in lying, in fleshly anger, in stealing, in corrupt speech, and taming the tongue we talked so much about last week. These things are grieving to the Holy Spirit. And we are challenged here by Paul not to resist that work that the Holy Spirit desires to do in us, that we would put off lying, that we would not be angry without sinning, that we would be able to, to press on in faith and, and add to our faith, and so we would not grieve the Holy Spirit. If we just keep taking steps backward. If we keep just maintaining and going with status quo and, and not desiring more of Jesus, that would be grieving to the Holy Spirit. Corrupt speech is grieving to the Holy Spirit. Now, we're not to resist the work of the Spirit in our lives, but we have to realize, too, sometimes there's going to be hard work. There's going to be hard things. Putting off the old man, the old nature, is sometimes really hard, dirty work. We've talked about that and the corruption, the disgusting nature of sin. But it is possible work because of the Holy Spirit who is working in us. Now further, we're not to, to grieve the Holy Spirit would be also, as Paul says, to, not to quench the Holy Spirit. That would be grieving to try to quench the Holy Spirit. This burning fire, this passion that is, that is lighting us up as believers, we don't want to quench that. In fact, we should be fanning the flame. We want to continue to fan the flame of the Holy Spirit working in us, not quenching the Holy Spirit, which is grieving to the Holy Spirit. And listen, the quenching can happen in the church the grieving happens in the church, and, the, and that grieving and that quenching can happen in our own lives. And Paul writes a, a warning to the church of Thessalonica, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 19. It says, do not quench the Spirit. And right before that, he says, pray without ceasing. So what does that tell us? Quenching the Holy Spirit is prayerlessness. Further in this passage, we're going to look at bitterness, a lack of faith, and a lack of morals are some of the things that we've already addressed. These are things that would grieve or quench or silence or suppress the Holy Spirit. Let it not be so among the church. Paul gives this warning not to grieve the Spirit not to try to, to limit the work of the Spirit, and that's what we end up doing in our own strength. We end up limiting the work of the Holy Spirit because of, and the key here, guys, is prayerlessness. Quenching the Holy Spirit is a very dangerous thing to the church. Now, if you've been with us the last couple Wednesday nights, I've been giving extra time. Two Wednesdays ago, we didn't teach through Genesis chapter 45. We just, I just said, guys, we're gonna take a break. We're gonna just pray. We're gonna worship because we need to be a house of prayer. We need to be dedicated to the Lord in prayer. We need to have that sweet fellowship with Jesus through our prayer as the body of Christ. This past Wednesday, we did do Genesis chapter 45, but we ended 20 minutes early so that we could spend extra time in prayer. In these built life groups, as we go out, we, we want to encourage all the groups, make sure you're spending extra time in prayer. 
because there are so many needs among the body. There's so many things that we need to be praying for, but more than anything, we need to be earnestly pressing into our relationship and our fellowship with Jesus in prayer. And prayerlessness will quench the Holy Spirit. We don't want to be a church that is suppressing the work of the Holy Spirit. We need to spend more time praying and less time talking. Sometimes we get with our prayer partner, accountability partner, and we spend a lot of time talking about our problems, about our situations, about our aches and pains and this and that. And listen, of course, we want to let our requests be made known. Of course, we want to share these things with each other. Hey, this is what I need prayer for. That's valuable, but sometimes we, we just start going further and further and offering counsel to one another or opinions to each other or we get into a church meeting and we're, we just start going and we're like, hey, I got this idea and we got all these great ideas to make things happen. And like, wait, let's stop talking and let's start praying and let's not start talking until we finish praying, which sometimes might take a long time. It might be the whole meeting. Our last elders meeting just a, last week, I sat down, I got, we got in the room, and I said, guys, I don't want to talk, let's just pray. We have things to talk about. We'll pick up the phone and pick up those conversations when we need to, but let's just pray. Because we need to stop talking and start praying. We shouldn't, uh, we shouldn't try to filter our own conversations and expect them to be spiritual unless we're gonna pray. It's so easy. It's so easy to take the knowledge that we have, that we've gained over the years, and, and it's knowledge of scripture even, and we just start talking about things. We're like, let's just pray. We need to stop, and we need to pray. If we spend too much time talking and not enough time praying, we can quench the Holy Spirit, which would grieve the Holy Spirit. This word grieve is a word that is based on a love relationship. You can't grieve someone who doesn't love you. It's based on a love relationship. It's based on real fellowship. How do we have real fellowship with God? It's through prayer. You can perhaps upset or disappoint somebody, who you don't have a relationship with, but you can only grieve someone who loves you. So there's great news, guys. The Holy Spirit loves us. We are so loved. We are so invested in. And we can grieve the Holy Spirit who loves us by doing what is contrary to his nature. We are representatives of God. The Spirit of God is in us. And if we are doing things like lying and we're lashing out in anger and wrath and stealing and allowing corrupt words to proceed out of our mouth, then we are then blowing our testimony, right? We're grieving the Holy Spirit because we're, trying, we're supposed to be representing the Holy Spirit, but yet we're acting in a way that is contrary to the nature of the Holy Spirit. 
Look, sometimes my kids, they'll do something that grieves me because I, I, I would think to myself, that doesn't represent me. Or my wife, that doesn't represent our family and our character. But now look what you did. You gave us a bad name, so to speak, right? It's the same with the Holy Spirit of God. We are representatives. When we do things that are contrary to his nature, then we're misrepresenting the Holy Spirit and grieving the Holy Spirit. Now, it is the Holy Spirit by whom you were sealed, and that seal indicates ownership. A a ministry of the Holy Spirit is to keep us safe, to secure us from the attacks of the devil. Verse 31, we continue. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. Now we get uh, into more things to put off, right? Let these things be put away from you. Put off, and this is, of course, the old nature, the old man. Things that are contrary to the work of the, or the character of the Holy Spirit. Things that would grieve the Holy Spirit. Things that will harm the church. Remember that in these things we're not just you know, harming ourselves. We are actually harming the church when we do things that are grieving to the Holy Spirit. And things that are specific now to our character and our interactions with one another. We're getting into specifically how we engage with one another. And here's how we're not to engage with one another. Here's how we're not to treat one another. How we're not to treat the body of Christ. First of all, bitterness. Aristotle defines bitterness as this. Bitterness is a resentful spirit that refuses reconciliation. We have to remember that we have, although we are totally lost and dead in our trespasses and sins, we have been reconciled to God who is perfect. But yet, we hold on to bitterness in this resentful spirit that doesn't allow reconciliation with another person. But we're not perfect, right? And that's what we're, we need to really identify that within ourselves. We need to point the finger at ourselves today. It is so easy when we talk about our conduct and our interactions among the body of Christ, it is so easy to look around the room or to think of the interaction that you just had with somebody else within the church, within the body of Christ, and to point the finger at them and say, they need to hear this. They need to be reminded of not to have bitterness and and to be forgiving and compassionate toward one another. No, we need to. I need to. Among my four kids, it's always you did or he did or she did this. It's never like, you know what, I was wrong. I never hear that from my kids. I walk into a room, guys, what's going on? And they're arguing. Maybe all four of them are arguing with each other. Guys, what's going on? Oh, it was their fault. Everybody's pointing to somebody else. It was their fault. Nobody says it was my fault. But the scriptures are constantly challenging us to point at ourselves and say it's my fault and I need to change. Not it's your fault and you need to change. So be very cautious as we go about this today. Not to think about the other person. 
Maybe in your marriage, maybe this morning on the way to church, you had an interaction with your spouse that went poorly. And you're thinking, man, they just, they need to hear that right now. No, I need to hear it. I need to be careful of how I interact with other people. And these are the words to us, to not have bitterness, to put away bitterness, that resentful spirit that refuses reconciliation. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14 and 15 says, pursue peace with all people and holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Looking carefully, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God. Lest any root of bitterness springing up causes trouble, and by this many become defiled. This is a serious warning against bitterness. Bitterness, as it's described here in Hebrews chapter 12, bitterness is like a bad weed. That if it is rooted, it will keep coming back. Right? You ever you try to kill the weeds? You have to get to the root. If you just get in there with the weed whacker, if I'm doing a quick job of trying to clear out the weeds in the mulch bed, I'll just hit them with the weed whacker, throw some mulch a little bit, and okay, we're good to go. Right? Some of you got you know what I'm talking about. Just get the weed whacker. It's fine. It's good enough. But if I want to eliminate the weeds, I either have to get a spray that's going to kill it at its root, or I've got to dig down there, and I've got to pull it up and get the root out. Bitterness is like those bad weeds that will just keep coming back. And it just, it can easily overgrow all the good stuff. Truly, bitterness, it, it says it, right? Any root of bitterness springing up can cause trouble. And by it, many become defiled. Bitterness can defile the church. It can defile your own heart and mind where the weeds are choking out the good things. I've got this one weed, it's like a tree. It actually looks like a tree. And it, years ago, when I first moved in the house, half of it grew on one side of the fence and half of it grew on the other side of the fence, right? So it's like, and it's just, it gets to be like this massive, bushy tree. It's hideous. So the one in the front I tied a rope around that thing and I pulled it out with the truck, right? That thing's done. No problem. Never came back in seven years. The one in the back, I can't tie it up to a truck unless I've ripped the fence out and then I can, you know, so I'm like, wow, I'm trying. I get in there every year. I got to get in there. I got to chop it off. And within a week, it's overgrown again. It's just ridiculous and I can't do anything about it. I'm trying to mow the lawn, and I'm like, I can't get in there and mow the lawn because I'm getting stabbed in the face. It causes trouble to the other things, to the life that there is, and the grass, and the other things that need attention. That's what bitterness can do, guys. The life, the good things, it actually steals from it. The water, it steals from it. It causes great trouble and it can defile the church. It is certainly something to put off. Bitterness makes assumptions and causes us to see things through a certain lens, through a certain filter. This grieves the Holy Spirit. 
Bitterness tries to find something else or someone else to blame for our own sin or doubt. Well, further, it says then wrath. We're connecting dots here from the previous part here that talks about wrath and anger, and now we're talking about bitterness that's connected to wrath, and and this is all what boils out of bitterness, wrath. Wrath is a momentary outburst of anger, and wrath boils up and subsides sometimes just as quickly, right? We could have an outburst of wrath and then be like, okay, I'm good. But damage could still be done. That's why Paul warns against it. That's what wrath is. It's a momentary outburst. And we see this type of thing go on all over the world, people lashing out at each other. And within the church, if that happens, if we lash out, in, out, of, out of anger, ungodly anger, and our wrath comes out, an outburst of anger that comes out, you can't put the toothpaste back in the tube. It subsides and we think, okay, I'm all right, but it leaves scars. It still causes damage to relationships. Think of it like a boiling pot of water. If that pot of water, it boils up and it starts to boil over, you can very quickly turn it off and it will subside. Very quickly it will subside, but if you touch the water, it's still extremely hot. It'll still do damage. It will still leave its mark. That's wrath. It boils up. No, no, turn it off. Okay, at least it's not overflowing anymore. It's calm now, but the water is still hot. Paul warns against this. Wrath can cause damage, even if it's only a momentary outburst. Further, he says anger here. Now, this is the same word that's used in verse 26 when he says, be angry and do not sin, as we studied last week. But here it is connected to the statement on wrath and on bitterness, and out of bitterness can come wrath, and out of bitterness comes anger, then it's not godly anger, right? It is not righteous anger. But it's a reminder again, this repetition. Whenever we see repetition in the Bible, we need to... Think of it as a big reminder. Pay attention to these things. Reminding us that anger can so easily get out of control and turn into wrath. We have a responsibility, as we discussed last week, to keep our anger under control. And that anger that is to be righteous for righteous reason. A repetition to identify how damaging anger can be. That's what Paul's saying, hey, be angry and do not sin, and put off these things, put off the ungodly anger, put it away. Be careful, because if you're not careful, if you don't keep your anger under control, then it's going to be harmful to the body of Christ. All this to say, the new man is under the control of the Holy Spirit, and does not grieve the Holy Spirit. Now, these things we're talking about today are emotions, Emotional things, bitterness, wrath, anger. All to say, Paul is challenging 
the church to keep your emotions under control. And how true is it that our emotions can easily get the best of us? In fact, if we have an outburst of wrath, we will sometimes make that excuse and justify ourselves and say, I'm sorry, I let my emotions get the best of me. That's great to apologize. Paul's saying, don't let your emotions get the best of you. But it's so easy. Now further, he says clamor. Now that word literally is specifically speaking of emotions. Not being driven by our emotions. And those emotions can be all different things. We like to try to say, you know, certain people are extra emotional because they cry a lot. But how about the people who are angry a lot? It's still an emotion. And Paul warns more against those things. Don't let your emotions get the best of you. Don't be driven by your emotions. Don't be driven by your feelings. Those feelings that we will often base on our circumstances. Paul is saying, let's put that away. Further, he says, then out of that can come evil speaking, so we have to put away evil speaking as well. The word here is different from what we talked about last week. Last week, we were talking about the corrupt words. We were talking about profanity, right? And now this week, this evil speaking is, the word is blasphemy, speaking specifically of slander toward one another or mockery toward one another. And this is the way that the devil would speak to the church. And so he's saying, look, that's, that's the devil's speech. That's evil speaking. Put it away. Rid yourself of it. Now, it, within all of this comes up the topic of gossip, right? Let's be real. Like we, In the church, we can so easily, people start telling, oh, you hear so-and-so, they, they had this prayer request, so let's pray for them. And then you don't pray, you end up talking, right? That's why we see, hey, just let's start praying, let's stop talking. But that's what happens. We, get, we stir up the pot. We start talking about each other, about other people's problems. God knows and God can deal with it. Just pray. This is the way that the devil would speak of the church. And further it says here, with all malice. Malice means a vicious disposition. The same word that is used in scripture for uh, depravity. Some real negative connotations here for malice, right? An attitude of total misery. Again, reminding us of the uh, emotions or attitudes of the heart. Putting off and putting away malice is necessary to us as believers, because if, listen, if, we're, if we have a vicious disposition, we're going to be harmful to the church. If, we have a, if we're miserable, right, an attitude of total misery, whether it's sadness, whether it's anger, if we just let our emotions get the best of us, then we are going to be in a place of total misery. Let it not be said of you. That's what Paul is saying, put it away. This grieves the Holy Spirit. If we live our lives, and maybe you're just, well, I'm just a, I'm just a depressed person. You know, and, and we've, you know, my dad for years has always said, don't be like an Eeyore as a Christian. We don't want to be, oh, hey, 
Jesus loves me. It's cool, I guess. But this is sometimes how we live our lives as believers. We have the greatest celebration there has ever been. Our Savior lives, and we're going to heaven. Why would we be walking around like, yeah, I'm going to heaven. It's great. This should be a celebration of the church. Why would we be angry people if we're going to heaven? What do we have to be angry about? Now, yes, there's the righteous anger that we talked about last week, but we don't carry it on as we talked about as well. And we don't carry it out. Again, brings us back to our knees in prayer. Under the influence of the Holy Spirit, as a new man, we are to have these things under control, our emotions. We must put away or put off these things and that are of the old nature because they grieve the Holy Spirit. Then, verse 32, we have another and. And. So we're not done with just putting off the old man. We are to put on the new man. And so this is how we put off the old man. We put away the things that grieve the Holy Spirit. We put away the bitterness, the wrath, the anger, the clamor, the evil speaking, and the malice. And... Once we're putting that off, it's, and that and tells us this is kind of simultaneous. It should happen. It's not like, well, once we are finished putting those things off, because we're not finished putting those things off, because the flesh, the sinful nature that we have, will just keep coming back, and we have to keep reminding ourselves, no, I gotta put that off. I gotta put that off. Not once we put those off, then we add. But simultaneously, at the same time, that we're putting off the old man, we need to be putting on. Paul says, be filled with the Holy Spirit to make no provision for the flesh. That's simultaneous. Don't let there be any empty space. Think of this, this bottle of water here. That the water would be the Holy Spirit that is filled all the way and then we're not making room. They're like, well, let me just... Once I get down a little further, then I'll fill up again. No, just keep, stay under the spout. Overflow with the Spirit so there's no room for the flesh. This is a simultaneous thing. We are ridding ourselves of the old man while we are putting on the new man. We are under the spout of the Holy Spirit. So verse 32, and is a simultaneous thing. And be kind. Now, these are all the contrary things to what we already looked at, but we're not, we're not finished with the things of what to put on, right? This is how we are to engage with one another within the body of Christ. We talked about how not to, and here's the how to. Simply put, display spiritual graces rather than destructive grudges. That's the word of verse 32. Now, this verse is a verse that I often quote to my children. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, right? You have to remind them all the time because there's the arguments that come up. And I'm like, hey, guys, be kind. The other night, there's a bunch of kids playing together. They're just arguing about some game. I'm like, hey, guys, 
Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another. They're like, okay, cool. You know, and then they just go on living life. But we remind them of that, but we need to remind ourselves of that. This is a scripture that needs to be memorized by every member of the body of Christ. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, just as God in Christ has forgiven you. The interpretation here would imply that this is a statement about becoming kind, an ongoing action. Not to say, okay, once we're done, right, we're done putting off and we've gotten rid of the bitterness, then we can just be kind. No, but become kind. You become kind by practicing kindness. And here's how even Paul outlines for us how to practice kindness to have a tender heart, to be forgiving. Not to just be kind or do kind things, but become a kind person under the influence of the Holy Spirit. That's how it's gonna happen. The fruit of the Spirit. This is all under the influence of the Holy Spirit. Another word used here is be kindly affectionate toward one another. Actually giving effort to showing affection to one another within the body of Christ. You might think that's kind of weird. Well, but is it? The Bible tells us to be kindly affectionate. We should be greeting one another with hugs in the church. I've, I've told you guys about it before. When we spent time in Brazil, when we were on the mission field, every, when you say to the church, hey, it's time to greet each other, it takes 20 minutes Every person in the church greets every person in the church with a hug and a kiss on the cheek. I never met these people. They're hugging and kissing me on the cheek. I mean, I'm from America. I'm like, okay. <laughs> we had Hannah was a newborn. She's three weeks old. We, we went to Brazil. And there's people just coming and taking our baby out of our, our arms. Oh, she's wonderful. And the guy like, who are you? You haven't passed a background check. But there's so much affection within the culture. In our American culture, we are not naturally, kindly, affectionate toward one another, are we? Some of us maybe you're like, I'm a hugger. Come on, bring it in. But let's all be huggers in the body of Christ. Don't make it weird, okay? But let's, let's, let's greet one another with the joy of the Lord. The joy of the Lord that we're reminded that Jesus is alive and that we are going to heaven. To be kindly affectionate. Now here's how we practice kindness. And this kindness, this type of kindness combats bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, evil speaking, and malice. And this would clearly indicate to us that the nature of the old man is not kind. Our flesh is not kind. The nature of our old ways is not kind. We cannot naturally just be kind. We have to practice. Paul outlines it a little bit more clearly in Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 to 4. He says, therefore, if there is any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, fulfill my joy by being like-minded, 
having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind, and let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. That is kindness. Not looking out for your own interests, but for the interests of others. Kindness requires humility. This is the mind of Christ. And remember that it is his kindness that leads to repentance. You want to change the world? Become kind. Because it is reflecting the image of Christ. It is putting on the characteristics of the Holy Spirit. And that changes people. Because we're pointing them to Jesus. Now here Paul also gives these practical practices of kindness. To be tender hearted. This word meaning compassionate. A genuine showing of concern for others. Which brings us again back to Philippians chapter 2. To look out not only for your own interest but for the interest of of others. We naturally look out for our own interests when we wake up every single day. We are all about me. And Paul is saying, hey, that, that's the old man. That's the old nature. But let the new nature reflect Christ in that you are tenderhearted. You're seeing the needs of others and meeting those needs, showing concern for others. This is the purpose of the church, not just gathering for us to sit and enjoy, but to engage, to encourage and to equip, to invest in the body of Christ, to meet the needs and encourage and build up and strengthen through love and gentleness. That's tender-heartedness. I've heard it said in the church, especially in ministry, you need to have a tender heart and thick skin. That's really a concept that Paul is teaching. We need to be able to handle some of the things that are thrown at us that sometimes hurt, but still have a tender heart. Still be kindly affectionate to one another to meet the needs and to encourage and build up the body. Further, he says then, forgiving one another. This prevents bitterness, forgiveness. As I said before, not holding on to grudges, but displaying spiritual graces. This is what the new man does. Forgives. Forgiveness is a mark of being spirit-filled. And most of all, right, the, this behavior of kindness, tenderheartedness, and forgiveness, as it says here, even as God in Christ forgave you, it is Christ-like. Forgiveness is perhaps the, one of the most Christ-like things that we can do. Our forgiveness is to be modeled after Jesus himself. 
But oftentimes we get stuck looking around at other people and thinking, well, if they're holding a grudge, then I'm going to hold a grudge. If they're not going to forgive, I'm not going to forgive. But our forgiveness is to be modeled after Jesus Christ. And in that, we are to be reminded of what we have been forgiven of. What has Christ forgiven us of? Our trespasses and sin. So who are we to withhold forgiveness from the body of Christ? To forgive is to be more like Christ. And to forgive is to bring glory to Christ. Reminding ourselves of God's forgiveness. God's forgiveness bears with us. Right? We are, we're, and we're called to bear with one another. When we, when we think of that, to bear with one another or to bear one another's burdens, we often think about the fact that, that other people are burdensome, not that we're burdensome, right? We're like, yeah, I got to bear with somebody else's burden right now. Well, what about you? What about me? People got to bear with me. Sorry. But God's forgiveness bears with us. God forgives even knowing that we will sin again. Romans 5.8 says, but God demonstrated his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He forgives. Knowing that we're gonna keep sinning, he keeps forgiving. And guys, we are to forgive not so that we will be forgiven, but because we have been forgiven. That's what Paul is saying. Don't, it's not, hey, if you, if you want to be forgiven, you got to make sure to forgive. No, we are to be amazed at the forgiveness of God and not withhold that forgiveness from those around us. Warren Wiersbe says this, an unforgiving spirit is the devil's playground and before long becomes the Christian's battleground. What a great summarization, <laughs> summarization, sorry. Sometimes words just come out. I make up words all the time. But what a great summarization for us as the church. I've said it so many times before, we battle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and against the powers of darkness. Yet, we have set up a battleground within the body of Christ. It's not supposed to be that way. An unforgiving spirit is the devil's playground and becomes the Christian's battleground. It should not be so. We should, in our new nature, be tender-hearted and forgiving. But instead, we are often hard-hearted and bitter. This will harm the church and it will hurt ourselves. Because bitterness makes us treat others like Satan treats them, being an accuser of the brethren. Forgiveness is treating each other as God treats us. 
to forgive. And that forgiveness is not for us or even for others. It's for Jesus. That his love might be revealed and that he might be glorified. When we withhold forgiveness, we're harming the body. We're not allowing people to see the love of Jesus. We're not allowing him to be glorified in us and through us. We're withholding all of that by holding on to bitterness, by allowing this root, this weed to overgrow and to literally suck the life out. That's how damaging bitterness can be in our own hearts. And that's how damaging it can be in the church, in the body of Christ. It brings us back to our knees, guys. Because this forgiveness and this not harboring or not letting bitterness have a root in us, it really comes back to, it's between us and Jesus. You may not even have opportunity to approach another person and say, I forgive you. Or will you forgive me? Sometimes you miss out on those opportunities. And maybe you're holding on to bitterness right now. It doesn't mean you have to go up to somebody and be like, you know what, I was harboring bitterness toward you for the last 10 years and here's why. And they're like, what? I thought we were buddies. (laughs) You may not have that opportunity and you may not need to do that. But you know what you can do? You get on your knees before the Lord in prayer because prayerlessness grieves the Holy Spirit. Prayerlessness will lead to more bitterness. Prayerlessness will lead to hard-heartedness. So we get back to our knees, we give it to the Lord, and we ask him to work in our hearts to do that weed control in our own hearts to get it at its root and pull it out. So that then our fellowship with God would not be hindered. That we might reveal the love of Christ and we might glorify the name of Christ. 